0: Hey, everybody, it's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I have a super quick announcement to share with all of you. Beginning in April, I'm gonna be launching a series of college-to-career live weekend boot camps to help graduating seniors as well as juniors who are confused about what jobs or careers they might wanna pursue when they graduate. So imagine going from confused to confident with at least three different career options you'd be psyched to explore by the end of day one of the boot camp. And then learning the tools, tactics, and the strategies to find those jobs by the end of day two. The boot camp is live and it's led by me over Zoom. And you can learn more about it at College to Career Academy. That's college, the number two career. Or you can just look me up on LinkedIn and check out the featured section of my LinkedIn page. I can't imagine a better graduation gift for the college students in your life. Thanks so much for listening. And I know you're going to enjoy my next incredible guest. Hi there. I'm Andrea Koppel and it's time for coffee the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about marketing, especially at a large multinational company, I almost knocked over my coffee cup, Then this is the episode for you because my next guest has worked in marketing, sales and operations at British Telecom, also known as BT, where he's worked for the last three and a half years, even though his major at university was not in marketing. Going to leave it there. Well, you're going to be surprised to hear what his major was. But before I introduce you to Dan Mian, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time. Coffee's newsletter that showcases upcoming guests on T4C, as well as features, career advice, insights, and inspiration. It's a lot of fun, and there's quite a few coffee puns in there as well. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. Now my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Dan Mian, a marketing professional with a passion for technology and telecommunications. And he's got over six years experience in marketing sales operations and commercial roles. But just six years ago, That wasn't that long ago. We're talking about 2015. That was when Dan was getting ready to graduate from university, like so many other students. He had no idea what he wanted to do when he graduated. And as you're going to hear, he had to overcome lots of rejections and uncertainty. And that experience actually inspired him to start a side hustle to help people just like you, other college students, other university students, transition more smoothly. And with as little pain and suffering as possible, from university into the working world. Dan, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated on your British tea and ready to go?
1: (laughs) I am. I have my British cup of tea right in front of me now and I'm ready to go. Awesome.
0: Well, I was going to ask you what your go-to caffeinated beverage was. As you can probably hear, dear listeners, Dan is not American. He is a Brit born and raised. So do you start with a strong cup of English breakfast or what's your go-to?
1: It depends how I'm feeling. food is. I've got a coffee machine at home, an espresso one. So I, I do use that. I do like good coffee. tend to take it black sometimes with oat milk in. But yeah, my go-to is probably the classic English tea.
0: I love that you said oat milk. So yeah. do you not use dairy?
1: No, I do use it. I'm just trying to use less of it. I'm trying to go for the whole veggie, vegan, sort of. Just trying it out, you know. Kind Yeah. No, you, I love that. conscious of the environment, that kind of stuff. So just trying a few things out and change it up.
0: Well, the most important environment, I know I'm probably going to get flack for this, is your body and your Absolutely. brain. So you've got to be prioritizing that. And I don't know if you can see oh, yeah. my oh, nice. my drink here, but actually I'm drinking a Rise Nitro oat milk latte myself. It's one of these little cans. So I, in honor of our afternoon chat, Dan, I thought I would crack it open because... Caffeine is like practically an IV (laughs) set up for me all day. Not quite, but it's kind of bad. P.S. It is quite late there in the evening. So we should probably be raising a pint to one another rather than our I wish. (laughs)
1: That would be good, right?
0: Yeah. What time is it now?
1: It's just coming up to 8.30 p.m. Okay. Well,
0: I don't want to keep you up. Trust me, Dan is working all the time. He's got his day hustle, his night hustle. I don't want to keep you diverted from the side hustle too much. So before we get into what you are doing right now at the BT Group, I just want our listeners to know that it is a huge multinational telecommunications company and it's in over 180 countries around the world. It's the largest provider of hard broadband and mobile service in the UK. And you were saying in our Espresso Shots episode, which we just recorded, that it has like a thousand employees. Is that right?
1: A hundred thousand.
0: Oh, good God. A hundred thousand.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's massive. Yeah. Wow.
0: That is... Is massive. So your current title is marketing professional. What does that mean? I mean, you know, because part of me was like, well, of course he's a professional for God's sake. He's working at BD. So what does it mean to have the title of marketing professional and what do you actually do in your day to day work?
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one, I think, for me, because a title doesn't necessarily reflect the work I do day to day. It's sort of how the structure of the organization happened at the time when we had a reorg, the role happened. and But my role has evolved since then. So my job, I suppose, my day to day job is I sit in the enterprise marketing division. So the business to business division of marketing. And my role is to, I'm essentially responsible for all things marketing strategy and campaign execution for four specialist business functions in BT. And I say specialist business functions because they're not the core of BT they're not the the fiber and the sort of broadband and you know that kind of stuff it's I'll give you an example it's drone drone solutions so we're looking at future of drones. I've got another business called Street Hubs, which is these cool. You'll see them if you ever go to London and some of the bigger cities, but these cool sort of hubs that are in the streets, which yeah, provide Wi-Fi hotspots and advertising screen and emergency voice calls. And we're just sort of launching our new product this year. So it's sort of doing the plans for that. Another one is called Air Logistics, which again is a, is a more of a logistics focused company, which essentially handles the messaging from any cargo coming into the UK. So the messaging between the pilots or the hubs of the airport, a little bit of a complex one. And then final one is called Field Force Automation, which essentially is is what it says on the tin, which is anyone who has a, a field force that is mobile, we would help them with the hardware to help them more efficient. So... If you think of Postman, they have mobile devices and scanners that they use. We would equip the hardware and support them and manage it in life. Yeah, my my core focus is around probably drones and street hubs.
0: Love it. So what is it that you do in your job? How are you supporting on the strategy and the campaigning and what happens in between?
1: I have a team. We work together on it but it's me and my manager essentially who do this kind of work and when i took on drones you know it's very because it is quite a new product it's not you know drones you don't see them flying around every day so there's a couple of solutions that we have within bt and my job is to essentially look at how we can raise awareness in the market how our commercial proposition is going to line up for when we're ready to make sales in the future and to sit down look at our budget and think what can we deliver? What can we do to yeah, to, to sort of make a plan and let like, into the finance guys and hopefully they sign it off. <laughs> uh, and then we do everything. So we execute all the campaigns. We work with various teams within BT and external agencies to do that.
0: So it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is like the deep thinking, maybe some research, talking to, you mentioned it's B2B, so maybe talking to some of your customers, feeling them out, maybe doing s- survey groups or focus groups or things of that nature. Does that sound right?
1: That's where it usually starts. Yeah. So with with a proposition like drones, it is very early in terms of its conception. That's where we did start. So we would bring in a marketing research agency to support us with customer insight. And that would help us inform what our marketing strategy would be. So that's what we've done with drones and street hubs. Yes, we do usually start with, with the research piece. There was a, a business I used to look after called Final Mile, which is very much in its... Final Mile? Yeah. <laughs> in its development stage, almost... a we're ready to make some money now which I took on at the very start of my career in marketing and evolved that over 18 months to produce a transformative business so I'm hoping to do the same thing with the likes of drones and street hubs
0: cool well I should let our listeners know cuz I did do a little reading on the BT final mile and it is super cool it's it's like having these boxes like what Dan mentioned almost like little hubs that are Spread out all over the country to help support different maybe service industries that would need parts and equipment and wouldn't want to be driving all the way back to maybe their main office to get it. And so... You have it kind of spread out in these final mile boxes, I guess. Is that is that okay?
1: That's about right. Yeah, you did a good job there. Well done. (laughs) I essentially describe it as Amazon lockers that you see, the yellow ones that you can make your deliveries to, but for engineers. So you know, it was initially used as an internal project. For our business called OpenReach, which are essentially the providers of fiber to the whole of the UK and copper, the copper lines to, to get Wi Fi through to your house and things. So it was essentially used for OpenReach to, for their engineers, to improve their service. And instead of, like you said, instead of going to a hub to go and collect all their stock and that taking a long time, they could collect stock from a locker that is en route to their job and it would be more fluid and automated. And yeah, we would deliver overnight. So we decided to take that proposition and roll it out to to the external market.
0: So interesting. So, I mean, that's obviously, so you've monetized something that was part of BT's own business. And you're about to spin that out into hopefully a channel for new revenue. How did you start this so it, it almost feels to me like you're like in a brain trust so you get somebody comes and says hey could we monetize this and then you and your colleagues sit down and start yeah. thinking it through
1: i think all the thinking was probably done before i got there with, with final mile so the, the idea was to always do that i think you know let's let's create a great case study internally because if we have the largest UK field force within Openreach. So there is no better proof point than that. And then once we get that right, we will take that externally. And I joined the team in marketing during my last rotation in, in BT. And it was the team looking after. Final Mile was the key one. BT Fleet was another one. Supply chain. So some of the logistics. Logistics companies. And that's where I really started to, to learn my trade in marketing, but also really helped to yeah, develop my skill set and, and confidence with marketing as well. And that's when I started to get stuck into the final mile.
0: Yeah. During the Espresso Shots interview, Dan noted that he feels the best way to actually learn marketing, because so many of his colleagues like him never studied it in university, is by doing it. It's on the job training. So could you take us inside some of the pieces of the marketing work that you were doing around BT Final Mile and what the various collateral materials included and what you were doing? Were you actually creating some of these materials for the campaign?
1: Yeah, so I was managing the creative. I wasn't actually doing the creative and more of a management role, but our team would, you know, the, the first initial step was Let's build out a strategy and a plan to take this to market, build awareness, and to essentially start to convert an audience later on, because it was something that was relatively new to the market, the logistics, you know, this type of solution and we had a big competitor that we had to go against so our initial you know plan was to do a workshop with all the senior leaders of final mile and uh, some others from bt as well and marketing bring them together with a creative agency to develop a concept and we did that we developed a four-step plan which was first to educate the audience sorry first to a long time ago (laughs) generate interest first then we're going to educate the audience once they're intrigued then we're going to convert them into customers and then we're going to reward them as customers. And that was a four step plan that we were going to execute over a two year period. And um some of the I suppose the bits associated with that would be uh, we had a, a big launch event where we bought industry experts from, you know, logistics companies but also tech companies. And we, we held that at the BT Tower in London. So that was a huge event which almost like a, you know, set off a um, high energy and a launch for the product. And from there, we ran multiple paid social media campaigns around those, again, around those strategic pillars, always laddering them back up. Lots of PR activity, lots of sort of direct mail, brochures, that kind of stuff to specific audiences. We ran a few email campaigns as well during that time. So yeah, a, a big mix of stuff really that we had. We sort of planned it out. Some of it was winging it, of course, as it always is, but yeah, that's what that's what we did for Final.
0: And did you get any media coverage? Because that's always a big one. That's known as earned media. And I think it's because you're earning it by the sweat of your brow rather than paid media, where you're paying lots of money for whether it's newspaper ads, magazine ads, television, radio. What yeah, are the cases?
1: Definitely around the launch event. We had a lot of journalists really interested in what they were doing. It was a very exclusive event with very senior people from the industry. We brought a BBC news presenter in to host it for us. So yeah, that got good coverage in, in industry focused publications. That really did help us. And yeah, I suppose just using LinkedIn as well from a business perspective, trying to, to run our things like we we created animations and that kind of stuff. Called them hero films. So that was cool. I actually went out to site and, and worked with the film crew to develop some of these films. So that's a, yeah, that was really interesting to see. And it was a big, big, big learning curve for me. That, that whole proposition was, was great. And it was about halfway through that that I ended up taking it and owning it for myself, which was massive my career.
0: Fantastic. So could you take us into a typical day for you now, Dan? We are doing this interview for listeners in early March of 2021. The UK is still under actually lockdown, which is, wow, really, really strict. And you're obviously working from home. If we were a fly on the wall, Dan, of your flat, what would your workday look like for us?
1: Yeah, sure. So it's, again, it's quite a varied day to day. You know, every day is different, but there is some sort of planning involved. So at the moment, we're approaching financial year end. So a lot of my time is spent trying to spend the money we do have to look at things that we can, you know, that we can do, making sure we've got our plans wrapped up for next year so we can get budget we want. So I think it's always busy and we've got a lot of requests flying around for, can you tell me what this campaign is producing? tell me that, can you tell me that? But that's, I think that's an industry-wide thing <laughs> towards this time of year. More typical stuff would be, I suppose I'm actually right in the middle now of a, of a paid media campaign, which is a, quite a sizable investment over six weeks, mainly using LinkedIn and YouTube. It's an awareness-focused campaign for drones to yeah, essentially get the right audience seeing us and seeing that we're there and what we do. The likes of the military, the army, the defense sector, huge organizations. And yeah, I'm managing that through now, day to day. So I'll be on calls with the agency who are helping us run it and the digital team are supporting as well. Just ensuring that, yeah, just, just making sure it's going well and we're hitting the right numbers and the metrics and what can we do to optimize the ads if we need to. Like a funny one actually a few weeks ago is within our first couple of days of launching that event, we had a someone who had done a YouTube video, 38-minute long YouTube video scrutinizing the ad. It was a, a hobbyist. Own hobbyist. So I then had to work with our PR team to make sure that it didn't, you know, blow up and make us look really bad. So there was a lot of damage control and just monitoring there. And that was, yeah, that was a crazy week, (laughs) actually. Oh, it sounds like it. It's, yeah, every day is different, like I said.
0: So as I alluded to in the introduction, Dan has been at BT since September 2017 when he was hired as a member of what in the UK is known as a graduate scheme. And a graduate scheme, to help those who are unfamiliar with the UK system, is a kind of a comprehensive one to two-year training program for recent university graduates. And it's very competitive to get accepted into these programs, especially at a company like BT and PS. There are a whole bunch of companies in all kinds of industries in the UK that have these graduate schemes. They run from charities or nonprofits to finance, healthcare, human resources, pretty much any industry that you can think of. They have these training programs that offer quite competitive salaries. And Dan, in an article that he wrote for a website, said that the slot that he got, the year that he applied, I guess it was probably like the 2016, you applied in 2016 for the 2017 class there were 24,000 applications for only 200 slots. That's right. And he got one of them. I mean, that is incredible. What kind of an experience has it been for you, Dan? Can you just give us a very quick overview? Because I know you've been in different departments over the last, you know, the first 2 years that you were at BT before you landed in marketing?
1: Absolutely. It's been it's been an incredible experience to me overall. I think I've I've learned so much and I've I've matured a lot and I've sort of learned a lot about myself along the journey as well and I've built an amazing network of people. So I've really really enjoyed my my graduate program my experience at BT. I've had a slightly peculiar start to it where you know a lot of people would stick to one area and maybe move through that area. So within marketing, there's so many functions. So I know people who have been in marketing and have, and have rotated through digital and then content and, and different areas of marketing to explore that. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. And at the time that I got the job offer, I wanted to be placed in Birmingham <laughs> in the West Midlands of the UK, but there was no there's no offers. It was only London. And I was really against moving to London <laughs> because it was just so expensive. It's crazy. Money for rent, and I was like, if I'm ever going to buy a house or do anything, you know, that I want, I need to be able to save. So I said, okay, fine. What are my options? And East Midlands was the options. So that's when they sort of said to me, why don't you try? It? We've got a rolling supply chain for you, and I had no idea what supply chain was, but I did it. I went, I moved to a place called Milton Keynes in the UK which I'd never been to before. Yeah, I moved there and I was stationed at a warehouse, essentially a warehouse of stock. And we have a mobile company, a mobile network called EE in the UK. I don't know if you know it, but it's one of the largest uh, mobile providers here. And it was essentially managing the supply chain operations for EE, getting the mobile phones out to people, out to customers when they order it. And it was an amazing, very big learning curve. Usually steep learning curve. Spent probably the first six months really trying to learn what supply chain was all about because it was very, very complex. A lot of systems, a lot of automation, a lot of, you know, the, the jargon that you just have no clue <laughs> as, a, as a fresh grad or as how, how a complex organization gets stuck out to people. So I did that as my first sort of move. And my second move was sitting supply chain, but it was then looking at the reverse reverse loop within EE. So there are 650 stores across the UK, retail stores for EE. And when customers' phones break, they go to the store, they hand their phone back in. And as a customer, you just forget about it, right? You go home and they deliver your phone back to you. But when you're working in it, (laughs) there's a whole complex process that happens to get that phone back repaired. And my job was to analyze and look at the repair loop for improvements. What could we do to to improve that chain? And one of my key key sort of achievements in that area was I found that phones are going into the repair loop slightly broken and finishing the repair loop massively broken.
0: <laughs> so that doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, it didn't make sense. And I I saw I, you know I, I did all things like I went to the courier warehouse and I saw a phone being dropped into a box and then behind it an exercise bike. Be dropped on top because they were they were splitting by postcode. They weren't splitting by business. So you'd have EE, you'd have fitness company. So yeah, the stock was getting damaged. Plus the bags that they'd transport them in weren't secure enough. They were very flimsy. So key achievement for me was rolling out ten thousand newly designed bags that were more protective, could fit more phones in. And that was yeah, that was a great achievement. And then I moved into a different part of the supply chain, which was managing a call centre, the service desk. And I was totally different because I was managing 30 people. And my job, again, was to to manage those people, help improve the call quality, help improve the general statistics, such as the amount of calls we take, how long we spend on calls, and just improve the customer service, really. And I was servicing the likes of OpenReach Engineers and EDF, which is a a huge utilities company in the UK. And that was a great role as well. I I learned a lot from that.
0: And actually, I'm looking at your CV here and you say that you achieve significant reductions in the average time to answer calls from 90 seconds to 10 seconds. That's incredible, Dan. And P.S., that's another tip that we're going to be getting into in a little bit on your CV or your resume, whatever you call it, is having data that quantifies the impact that you've had in whatever role you've had. So that's a great one.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I really enjoyed that role. And there's a lot of things I did for that. You know, for example, I found that we were we were just having so many calls coming at eight o'clock in the morning. We didn't have the staff on and we didn't, when we had the staff on, we didn't have the right the quality of the stuff. So, I repurposed and reshift all the, all the sort of the rotors and things to make sure we had experience, experience staff and, and volume there. A few of the things I did with systems and stuff and, and just sort of would nurture it. And that's when we got down to, from 90 to 10. You know, incredible. I took oh, that away. And, uh, wow. Yeah, that's great. And then my sort of, I suppose, I did do another project for a customer there where I launched it in, in the warehouse within supply chain, but that was a bit of a shorter time move because my final move was into marketing then.
0: So I'm not sure if you have an answer for this yet, but has there been a value to you in your current role in marketing from having worked basically on the front lines out in the warehouses and working on supply chain and call centers?
1: Absolutely. It's been really valuable for me. You know, before I joined BT, I was in sales as well. So I I did work in a a sales-focused environment. That combined with the operational experience, the understanding of how business works, the spine of a business. You know, without a supply chain, you have nothing. So that was really valuable. And then managing the customer call center. Well, customers are everything. They're the lifeblood of business. So it was really understanding their needs, how to communicate with them, what their challenges were, and how to improve that. You know, taking all of that information in with me to an interview for a marketing role, I said I would come at this with a totally different perspective to what people who have just done marketing come with. I can relate to salespeople. I can relate to operations people. And who are you going to be selling to? You, know, you, you might be selling to the ops manager. You might be selling to the sales manager. That experience will set me apart from the rest. It won't hinder me in any way because I don't have any marketing experience. I'll show you that I'll have great perspective and I'll learn. 'Cause I've I've learned in every other role I've done. That's what sold it, I think.
0: Mm, that's so interesting. It's also important to note that with these grad schemes. A full-time job is not guaranteed after the training program is over. So kudos to you again, Dan, for landing that full-time role. You have also been super candid on LinkedIn, which is how he and I met, and other social media about your own experience getting into this scheme in the first place. And you shared that the first time around, remember Dan graduated in 2015 when he had just graduated from university, he sent out anywhere between, I guess, 20 or 30 applications to different more?
1: And, oh. and some, yeah.
0: And some, okay. <laughs> and all of them were rejected. Yeah. What did you learn from that experience, Dan? And what advice can you share with our young listeners about how to increase their chances for success in the application process, whether it's for a grad scheme or for any Job, any job application.
1: Absolutely. And I learned a huge amount from, from that time and that process. I think that I would actually like to note that I was rejected twice from BT before actually joining them. <laughs> First thing I'd probably say is don't give up. Don't give up on your dream. If you have a dream, stick to it. I suppose some mistakes I was making from that year to the following year, where I really redefined and refocused my job search strategy and, you know, improved my. My resume and all the rest of it that went into me securing that BT role. First of all, I took a scattergun approach to my applications. I was all over the place. I was applying to everything and anything. I had no focus, no real clue about what I was what I was applying to. I was looking at the name of the company, the salary, and thinking, "Yeah, that sounds cool," and I'd send my my CV off you know, just like that. And I was playing the numbers game, and it's not a numbers game; it's a quality game, 100. That's the key learning for me: is focus your and your mind on what you want whether it's in the industry or a set of companies a particular role and go for quality over quantity some other learnings would be that I was looking at totally the wrong things to be honest I was focusing on salary and progression opportunity I was looking at what can this company give me and that's the wrong attitude to have you know it, it's yes what what can they give me in terms of progression and skills and all the rest of it but why do I want to work for them and why, how how would we fit together that was like the Totally, sort of did a one one eighty flip on my mindset. Is when I start really researching the following year on values, on culture, on their products and services. Can I really get behind their mission statement? And what else can I read about the company that will show me whether it's right for me? So I was no longer trying to, I suppose, just take this scouting approach and mold myself to a company. I understood my own values at that point. I knew what I was looking for because of my experience just before that, and I've identified and fitted in. the company and that's what really helped me through the entire process so that's more from a strategy perspective of how to approach the job search mindset is the other one i think that's really important so rejection is hard and it it does knock you knocks your confidence and it knocks your belief in yourself you know and i got myself into a difficult place with that but no one else is going to help me i had to help myself so you have to find it within you to pick yourself out of that place and it can be done you know, you can do it. That's that's one thing is I was probably, I was rock bottom at one point, pulled myself out of the ground and got achieved that, that dream job. A mindset is really important. You know, you have to believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, how do you expect an employer to? That's the way I look at that. And then the other one is your positioning. How are you positioning yourself to get into these companies? Because I look back at my resume when I came out of graduate, you know, university, when I graduated, and I look at it the following year and I was thinking, what was I doing? <laughs> What on earth was I doing with that CV?
0: Why? Um, What was wrong with it?
1: Oh, it was just terrible. Uh, It was too descriptive. I didn't show any impact, zero achievements, zero quantifiable results. I wasn't selling myself in the best way. It wasn't tailored to job descriptions. Same with my cover letter. I sent the same cover letter to pretty much every company, just switch out the company name, thinking that was going to work. So a reflection on yourself, looking really within you out, what you've done in past roles and taking the key achievements from them and then being able to put that onto paper is what's going to really help. So it's a combination of all those things, really. That's quite a lot.
0: (laughs) No, that's, you know, fantastic. I think though, and you totally get this, for a university student, so many of them Feel they haven't done anything yet. They haven't been in the real world. Maybe they've had a part time job, they've done volunteer work, they've been involved in extracurriculars, and they don't see that as being transferable. And what do you want to tell them?
1: I say that no experience is a bad experience. Every single experience that you've had, you would have gained skills and you would have added value. You just might be too close to it to so think about it in that way. And that's what I do a lot is, is trying to re refocus people and change their perspective on what they've done. You know, when I'm asking questions to people, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, I had a guy who had a part-time role in a company and it was an environmental company that he was doing some research for. You know, on his CV, he just, he just wrote something like research project. I said, well, what's this about then that brought to me? What's this research project? And he said, well, I just, I just did some some research for something in Africa. So, okay, what was it? You know, there was a village that needed water. So I was looking at where we could potentially put a hydroelectric power station because, yeah, and I was like, what exactly did you do for it? Well, I, um, I spoke to this government agent in Africa. I looked at the location, the low lying land, high-lying, you know, flat land, all this kind of stuff, looked at some of the technical stuff. I worked with X, Y, and Z and I produced this like three page document. And where did that document go? Well, that went into a wider report. Okay, cool. And where did the report go? Well, my manager, who presented it to the CEO. And what did the CEO do with that report? He took it to the UN to propose a 15 million pound project. And what happened with the project? Well, it got approved and they're building it right now. So I said, okay, so let me get this straight. Your research project has now meant that there is a village in Africa that can get clean, accessible water, which is a 15 million pound project. How many people are getting water? It's like thousands of people. Yes, you've had a massive impact, right? You're just looking at it from your level, you're not putting any value and emphasis on what you've done. Your research has really made a difference here. It's it's showing them the locations, it's done all this other stuff. And he goes, I did not think about it like that. That's incredible. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's
0: like I would hire me. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> How do you feel now? Confident as hell? You know, I've done some really cool stuff. And that's just one conversation. This happens constantly. Constantly and it's it's any type of experience really. You know, that's probably a unique experience for someone to have, but quite a common experience is for people to work in retail stores, okay, on the shop floor, you know, shops and that kind of thing. And a good example would be, you know, if you're a sales assistant on a shop floor and you have well, they would just write sales assistant on a shop floor, that's about it, and think, Well, I'll just hang some clothes up and chat to some people. But in reality, from a commercial perspective, you're adding huge value to this business. Let's break it down. So how many people come into the store? Okay, 100. Of those 100 people, how many do you speak to, ask questions and recommend a product that they go on to buy? Probably 50%. Okay, great. Is that per day? Yeah. So you've got 50 people a day that you're now communicating with, influencing, that could potentially go and buy a product or service off you. What's the average value of one of those products in your store? £10 or $10? the Americans, right? So now you're looking at 500 pounds a day that you're putting into that business from being you from being a good communicator a great influencer a great listener right oh that's interesting how many days do you work 5 days a week let's do the maths then how how much value are you put into that business over a year and it's a lot of money i'm not going to do the maths right now but so yes you are valuable you are important do your other colleagues do this no i'm the best i'd say you know my manager always puts me on the front in the shop floor, I'm always chatting to customers. So you're the most valuable person from a top level. Yeah, they don't want to lose you. Because look how much value you're putting into the business now. And they're like, oh my God, they need to pay me more. <laughs> exactly. Have confidence. Yeah. I, look, I look, As you can tell, I get quite
0: emotional. Like you get, it, it's, <laughs> uh, I can see it because you're passionate. You right, that's the word. <laughs> Well, I was thinking because there is like, I think because you have been in those shoes, you totally relate to it. And when you didn't get into the BT grad scheme, you spent the two years after graduation until you were hired working in business development for City Magazine and at a company that I believe was involved in selling franchises. Quintadina, is that right?
1: They sold a software, an IT software, like for for quoting, quoting software.
0: Okay. I completely, clearly looked up the wrong company, but anyway.
1: (laughs) It's a bit of a niche one. It's only 10 people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I must've looked at the larger one. So you wrote a LinkedIn post about that experience saying that you were not happy in those roles. And with one of them, you actually moved back home to live for about four months, but you stuck with it because you needed the money. And you also saw that it was helping you develop good skills. And I totally relate to that, Dan, because I've also been in a job in particular that I didn't really like working for an organization that I didn't particularly respect because I needed the salary. Nevertheless, no doubt, it was still a valuable experience. Do you remember what skills you developed in either both of those jobs that have proved valuable to you since you've come to BT?
1: Absolutely. 100%, yeah. So the first job that I got out of university was the job in business development at Quintadena. So that was about five or six months after I graduated. And having gone through all those rejections, I got into that job. It was the first job that I was offered and I snapped it up straight away, probably for the wrong reasons. It was more from a place of pressure. I need to do something. I need to start making money, you know, all that kind of stuff. Nevertheless, you know, I, I went into there with a positivity and optimism. And, you know, I started off with a couple of weeks of training, in terms of how to sell effectively, selling on the phone, negotiating, all this kind of stuff. And that that really, you know, helped set me up to to really help try and influence people. To be fair, that's that's what it taught me at the start. My role was making. I was making five hundred cold calls a week minimum every week. And at the start, I was great. I was very optimistic and positive, and and you know. But after after a while, that drains on you. And that's when I started to get a little bit like, is this the right way of selling for me? I didn't feel it was. There was some things that I thought we could have done in terms of marketing better, that kind of stuff. You know, still, however, I powered through and I sold, you know, quite a lot of products, a lot of services within that role. And it taught me a lot. It taught me how to communicate. It taught me resilience massively, my personal personal perspective. It taught me how to, yeah, have difficult conversations at times. And it actually taught me a lot about what I didn't want from the company, which is massively valuable for coming out of the other side and, and getting my job at BT because I knew what I was looking for. And it built my confidence as well. It did build my confidence in terms of my value to a business.
0: So the two years that you spent in the grad scheme at BT, I guess, passed. And then in 2019, you also decided while you were at BT to launch your side hustle called Gradvance. To help university students transition into the working world, do you remember the moment or the period of time during which you were like, Hey, there could be a business opportunity here <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I don't think that was like a eureka moment, but I sort of thought you through my mindset of this you know it was one of the, it was one of the happiest days of my life when I got that call from the b t graduate scheme and having gone through what I'd gone through for the past year or so it was just a lot of relief with excitement and joy, and you know, amazing stuff. And when I started the job at BT, I was super excited. I felt like I was finally getting somewhere with my career. And I suppose reflecting back on that time, I realized how hard it was. When I got the job at BT, though, I started getting LinkedIn messages from people from my university who I didn't know asking me for advice. You know, how did you get a job at BT? Can you help me? All this kind of stuff. I also had my family, cousins and my younger brothers who are going through this whole graduate thing as well and looking for placements and stuff. And I realized that, oh, wow, my advice is helping people here. People are getting jobs all over and thanking me. And I thought, that that felt good <laughs> for me. Like It felt like a good thing trying to help someone because I understand the emotion that goes into this and, and what it means to somebody. There was a point where I thought maybe this, isn't, this wasn't just me. Because in that time, when I'd finished university and I'd graduated, and I was in, you know, a really bad place, I'd been rejected loads. I felt alone. I felt like I was the only one because I was looking around at some of my friends who had been off getting great jobs and just, you know, LinkedIn success posts, and they looked like they were having a great time. I then realised, <laughs> in about halfway through the grad scheme, that there is a lot of other people going through a similar position than than I was. And then I started thinking about why was I in that position coming out of university? Was the education system equipped to to help me? I don't think it was. Did I ever think about my career? Did I ever have a conversation about what my career could look like in university or even in college before that? No. Did they ever help me, equip me with to develop an amazing CV and hook me up with, apart from running the odd career fair, which I just don't think are very good to be honest. There was just a lack of support and I thought I can be the person to help some people here. That's how it started, really. And I remember sitting in a coffee shop with my friend thinking, what would be a cool name, graduate. Thank goodness
0: you didn't pick time for (laughs) coffee.
1: Yeah. No, and literally I was like, what have I done? Well, I've advanced. I've grown, you know, advanced. Okay. Graduates. Do they go together? Yeah, (laughs) they do actually. (laughs) That's how it happened.
0: I love it. I love it. So let us flashback really quickly to when you were at university. You went to Loughborough University and graduated with honors and a degree in geography yeah. with economics. <laughs> Did you know, Dan, what you wanted to do? Did you have any idea what you wanted to do with that degree in 2015 when you graduated?
1: No, I'm just going to pick you up on your pronunciation of that word though first. That is funny because nobody who's not in the UK can pronounce that. <laughs> Did I say it wrong? It's Loughborough. But it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like that at all. It's like, it's like we've got Leicester, Leicester in the UK. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's spelled Leicester Shire. Yes, it looks nothing like the, how, the, how it's pronounced. And yeah, anyway, it sorry different. about that. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, so my degree geography with with economics. We do A levels in the in the UK, so that's before university. You've got college, which is where you study A levels, and I picked English language, psychology, geography, and economics. I did pretty well in geography. I enjoyed it. Did pretty well in economics. I enjoyed it. What do I want to do for a degree? Hmm. Someone said to me, do what you enjoy. Okay, cool. I'll do both. (laughs) So I actually did. I actually went into university doing economics with geography. So my major part of my degree was economics with geography. Then I quickly realized that I didn't do A level maths. So. I was thinking, oh, this is going to be tough. So I quickly changed my course about two weeks in to make geography the major and economics the lesser one. So yeah, that's how it happened, really. And no, it wasn't planned. It wasn't like a perfectly planned out thing. I, I considered doing things like law, but I did a couple of weeks experience before that and I hated it. So that wasn't for me anymore. And I was pretty much just winging it, to be honest.
0: What do you want to tell those students, Dan, who will be graduating in just a short while here in 2021, especially for those who have no clue, like you didn't, like I didn't, like the vast majority of the people that I've interviewed on Time for Coffee had no idea. I think most people, no idea. How can they find the right fit?
1: Oh, it's a good question. Well, first thing I'd say is don't worry about not knowing. Don't stress because no one really does, unless you were just born with I don't know, I want to be a doctor. Like my mom, she, my mom wanted to be a nurse or a doctor her whole life. She just knew and she went into that and that's what she's doing forever. But that's just not the way I was. So, And a lot of lot of people now in this generation aren't, like, aren't that way. And I think you were similar, right? You didn't really know what you wanted to do. So I'd say take that pressure off of yourself because no matter what your degree is, you will have gained a lot of transferable skills, a lot of personal qualities, things that can be adapted to any position really. And there are other things you can do to help you get to where you want to be, like side hustle and online courses and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, don't worry. I know people in, who did a chemistry degree are now in sales or a computer science degree who are now in marketing. I'm trying to think of some others. But, yeah, you get the picture, right? Most people go into careers that aren't associated with their degree. So don't worry about that too much. You know, that's, a, that's an interesting one because... I think it's really hard to know what you want to do at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21, right? And to people say, follow your passion, follow your passion. But what does that really mean? I don't know. So what I'd I'd suggest doing is probably maybe break it down a bit more. And I usually say, you know, because what people do when they come out of university or whether they're at university looking for a placement is go to the job sites, go to LinkedIn, go to the job boards and just scroll through and have a look. And, you know, I understand why they do that. But you're looking at it from the wrong way. I always say flip it on its head. Start from the top, not the bottom. So identify two to three industries that you're passionate about or not passionate about that you think you would enjoy. You're interested right? in. You're yeah. interested in, exactly. So you know, it might be fitness and health. It might be beauty and fashion and things like that, that you enjoy your day-to-day life. Start there. Research some companies that are in them. Let's, t- let's take five companies. Maybe it's the top companies or a mixture of big and small ones. And then you can start learning how they are structured, what their departments look like, how they operate, et cetera. And then you can maybe look at how do I get into that, that industry and that company and what roles are available there. That's the first thing I'd suggest. You just flip it on its head and do that. Break that down because then you might have a bank of 15 companies that you can actually target in certain ways, which is probably a little bit more of an involved conversation. But start with that. And then I think just sort of what do you enjoy really? That, that's the first thing. So think about yourself, how you like to work, how you like to live your life. Do you like working with people? Do you like Communicating all the time. Do you like variety in your role, or would you rather be a specialist? Like, you don't want to just do one thing and learn that, I'd be amazing at it. Some people like more structure in terms of their progression level. So, I do this qualification, I go up 3K. I do that qualification, I go up five. And then when I get to there and there. And others like more fluidity where they can move through different areas. So, it's about like really, and then, you know, in terms of creativity, someone might be really naturally creative, but someone else might be like great with numbers and really enjoy that. So, It's understanding what you like first and then a combination of those two things will start to create a bit of a better picture. I always say to people, try and get like a a statement, like a vision statement of what it could be. So it could be as as simple as I would like to do a creative role in the charity industry or I would like to be in a, a sales or growth focused role in the tech industry. Something along that, you know, that nature. And I think if we want to take it a little bit further, <laughs> once you get to the departments, what's really important to understand in business is that every single department in a business is there for a purpose and a reason. So can you map yourself to that purpose? That's a great way to, that's a great way to look. So sales, as an example, is about profit. It's about growth. Where will you get your satisfaction from? If you see if the profit go up and you bring a customer in and your commission goes up, for you, Is that going to be a cool thing? Is that going to be a good day? If you look at maybe HR, which is actually the opposite. So we're not focused on the profit right now. We're looking inwardly at the company. Can we make a better culture for our people? It's very much a people-focused role, learning and development. Are we recruiting correctly? Are we retaining the right talent? And they're not judged on making profit. They're judged on company culture and engagement. So think about you and think about what you enjoy. can you map yourself to those different departments?
0: I love that you just use the word map because when you were describing what you do in your current role and what you were doing when you first started the grad scheme with BT, I started seeing how what you studied as a geography major and an economics major was mapping to those roles.
1: Yeah, I, I, when I reflect back like that, yes, I think it has done because geography for me was, was more analytical. It was looking at different opinions and it's not black and white. Like it's, a lot of the time it's, it's not like scientific. It's, it's more like can you take multiple opinions from different areas and create your own and form an argument? That's what for me what it was and it was very much essay-based. So that was cool. But then the flip side of that was economics it was very logical it's about numbers and mathematics and x <laughs> x plus y equals you know so a combination of those two things for me has definitely helped in the marketing role today because everyone has an opinion in marketing so you have to be able to tell your story and use evidence to do that so it's like a combination of the two so maybe it does but yeah I, I love that it at the time
0: I love it okay I have two final T for C questions for you Dan and these are questions that I try to ask all of my guests and the first one is. To share a time in your professional life when you struggled. We've already talked about that two year gap. And maybe, and when I say gap, you were working, but you weren't doing your dream job. You had been rejected a couple of times. Maybe that's it. Maybe you even failed or face planted. I guess the answer is yes. How you persevered, and if there was a lesson that you learned in the process.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's quite a few times when i failed and messed up and made mistakes throughout my career. I used to really hate myself for that. You know, I used to really take it personally. Now I don't. Now I see it as a bit of a blessing. Like if I'm failing, well, it means I'm growing. It means I'm learning. So mindset is important there. But if there's there's one example which was quite unsettling, actually, I just secured my call it full time role, the first role after the graduate program, and it was to look after, well, to be in the team responsible for businesses. BC Fleet was one of those businesses, which is a, a, again one of the largest fleet companies in the UK. BC Fleet and Final mile was involved in that. And it was only after I signed the contract a few weeks into that role, the big announcement that BC Fleet was being sold. Now, I'm sitting in their office. I'm literally sitting next to all the product teams and the CEO and everything. So that just created a ripple of uncertainty throughout the office. And for me, I'm thinking, I've settled now. I can learn my trade. I can just. Know, embrace it, and I'm in a good position. Business is doing well; it's growing great. Happy, so that caused a lot of stress for me. And then a few weeks after that, my boss sits me down and goes, "Dan, I'm leaving. I'm leaving BT," and I was like, "You are joking!" So not only has the business sold that I'm sitting in, and I've just signed this contract. By the way, I just bought my house at this point, so it's just, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And now my boss is leaving, and I went into like stress mode, like big time stress mode, and. I think this has really taught me how to navigate change and uncertainty, in, especially in a large, complex organization. What I did to help me through that, and this is really a, the key takeaway for anybody starting their career, even just you know navigating their career, is your network is so, so valuable. Who you build relationships with, especially at times that are tough, is what's going to help you get through. I had a mentor, which I actually proactively reached out to on LinkedIn to ask her, who was HR leader in BT. Not in my area, not in, you know, in a totally different part, but she respected that I had taken time to look at her career and how we could fit together, and that worked. And she even said that to me to this day, you know, you're the only person I still keep in contact with <laughs> in terms of mentors because of the, how we, we approached that. So I got a got conversation in with her straight away. also put conversations in with the head of marketing for that role and my old boss in supply chain just to help them, you no, know, tell them what was happening here and ask them how I could navigate this. And it was actually through those conversations that my mindset totally shifted. I actually started seeing this as an opportunity to take this for my own, you know, take Final Mile, which is the other part of my business, step into my boss's shoes and own it. And if I could prove that I could own it for six months, 12 months, whatever, they might not hire someone and you might be able to get that job. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So I went from chaos, you know, oh my God, this is going to be awful. I'm going to keep my job to thinking, you know what, let's go, let's do this. And that's exactly what I did. I actually took on that role, started sitting in our leadership team meetings, um, started proving myself and I owned it and the rest is history. So
0: Amazing. What an incredible story. I love that. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, look, it wasn't easy, but this, yeah sometimes things happen and my the head of marketing actually said to me at the time it's in the worst times like in the times that you think the worst and the failures that the best opportunities can come because not many people can say that they've been in a company that is being sold and their manager quits because it opens up an opportunity for you so it's it's just how you look at this like you can you can embrace this so I almost see failure as like a and and uncertainties now as like a, an opportunity and a blessing like okay what can i do i look at it with like more of a Laser focus now. Let's go get it, sort of thing, <laughs> which is strange because at the time I was like, my career is just going to be in a bin, you know? I
0: think there could be a lesson here for our young listeners who are graduating in the middle of this pandemic. Maybe they could flip it around too and see it as an opportunity. Where are those opportunities? Because they're out there. We both know it because 80% of existing jobs. Are not posted, which is why your network is so important. Last question. If you could go back to Loughborough, did I say it right?
1: Loughborough. Oh, to
0: Loughborough. <laughs> really? Sorry, yeah. to Loughborough. That's right. <laughs> and do it all over again, Dan. But based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Are you saying that it, is this me doing the, the degree that I've chosen or totally changing if it? If you
0: could do it all over again, if you were back in school, if you were entering your first year oh, yeah. and you could do it all over again, but with the the mindset, the wisdom, everything you have right now, what advice would you give yourself?
1: I wish I knew what, <laughs> I wish I knew now what I knew back then I tell you. Sorry. I wish I knew back then what I knew now. I'm that wrong. But I think I would have focused way more before I even went to university on what a career could look like for me. And I would have maybe chosen a degree which is more relevant to the business world. I knew I wanted to be in business. So maybe a business management degree would have been a good opportunity. I would have done lots more. I tried lots more experiences, internships, social media marketing. I would have tried to do some stuff for free for people. I would have done I didn't join any societies. I wasn't a member of any, of any societies. I would have done charity work, a lot more volunteering work. Because, that, again, that is valuable. And I would have, honestly, just started thinking about what my career would be straight away. Because, for me, the end of university was like, that's it. I'm done. You know, I, I never, throughout my whole school life, I never thought past that. It was, the goal was always get to uni, get my degree, get to uni, get my degree. The rest is going to be absolutely fine. And then it hit, it hit me. Like, well, okay, the real world isn't—you know—it's not going to be easy because everything's mapped out for you within the education system, and then all of a sudden you're thrown into this world. So start—you. Oh, and the other thing is using LinkedIn. My God, I only started using that seriously last year, and wow, if I started using it back then probably be like a massive influencer now, you know, I'd be off flying all over the world doing talks and stuff. So.
0: You'll get there. You'll yeah. get there. No doubt about it. He just had a post. How many, uh, how many likes did you just get?
1: Yeah. It's on like, let me just check it now. It's on <laughs> he 1, was like 000.
0: eight, he was like 1800 <laughs> getting close to 1900.
1: Yeah. What are we on here?
0: With uh, 90,000
1: views. 1,862. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. I mean,
0: incredible. So he's on his way, folks. He is on his way. If you want to learn more about Dan, you want to connect with him on LinkedIn for sure. Follow him. He writes great posts. His last name is spelled M-I-A-N, Dan Man, and Gradvance is the name of his company. If you want to check it out, it's all connected on LinkedIn. Yeah.
1: Head over to Instagram at Gradvance, G-R-A-D-V-A-N-C-E. I post or we post daily formative, educational, inspiring, motivational content, really, which is all around mindset, you know, CVs, cover letters, everything, you know, I try and give as much as I can. And that's the reason I started the community. It's just, and I've had, you know... We've had so many people getting jobs at amazing companies through, through grad funds. You know, some huge, amazing roles as well. So yeah, it's going really well. So come and check it out and, and send me a DM and say hello.
0: Dan, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the t for c community. You are such a wise young man. And I know, oh my God, the sky is the limit.
1: <laughs> thank you. You know, it's been a great, great opportunity and you know, great conversation with you as always, Andrea. You know, we always have good, good chats and we're on the same wavelength, I feel. So it's absolutely my pleasure. And thank, yeah, thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live.